Well, I hope you like that photo. Uh, that's actually the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you might sort of think, oh, it looks like some uh, Pacific island. Uh, it doesn't. They've got palm trees there. Uh, and uh, uh, it is absolutely beautiful. Uh, that's a photograph that I actually took uh, looking out towards the place of the Gerasenes. There are a number of stories uh, of Jesus seeing the needs of people uh, who are suffering. Uh, Jesus meets those needs as no one else could. But this story today really touches me. So many of the problems that I deal with from day to day stem from mental health problems. And to be clear, I'm not associating demon possession with mental illness or mental health problems. But the consequences can appear similar with some of the anguish we saw in our first reading today. Uh, I long for each person living with mental health problems to end up at the feet of Jesus in his or her right mind, as we see in our second passage today. For that is what Jesus can do. And it's partly because of the compassion we see from Jesus here and partly because of the power Jesus has to bring order out of chaos that this is my favourite story in Mark's Gospel. And there are some great stories there, but this is my favourite. Elsewhere he brings healing, but here he brings complete and glorious restoration. The Jesus we see here inspires me more than anywhere else except uh, at the cross, the cross on which he died for us. And of course, there is a link for the salvation we see in this story is a preview of what it will be like in the kingdom of God, where there will be life to the full with no demons and no mental illness and no antisocial behaviour. Oh, how I long for that. Uh, I know some people do not like this story. It has some uh, very distressing things in it. It has a very distressing description of a human being who was suffering terribly. This is the most wretched picture of humanity in the whole Bible. But sadly, it's not an overstatement. If you know anything of the suffering and lostness of some people today, uh, as I know many of you do. The story also contains economic and environmental disasters. The loss of 2,000 pigs would have had a devastating effect on the people who relied on them for food and income. Uh, and 2,000 rotting carcasses would have polluted the pristine waters of the Sea of Galilee. And there is weirdness here as well. But Jesus brings something wonderful out of that. So let's look at the story. Jesus travelled across the Sea of Galilee, a large freshwater lake in northern Israel. He and his disciples landed on the east coast in the region of the Gerasenes, also known as Gennaraset. It was a predominantly non-Jewish area, Gentile area, but it was still part of the land that God had promised Israel and where people were supposed to follow the laws. The laws that God had made through the prophet Moses, including about unclean animals. 
As Jesus landed, we're told that a man with an impure spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. And the first thing we should ask is, what was Jesus doing there? Oh, it looks like a nice day. Let's uh, go for a sail across the lake uh, to a cemetery. Uh, Perhaps not. But any contact that Jesus had with death or tombs would have made Jesus and his disciples ritually unclean. So this is another example, as we saw when Jesus touched the leopard, leper, where Jesus is not contaminated by uncleanness, but when he touches, when he is in a place that would make him unclean, he contaminates the place with his holiness. There is a reversal of the natural flow when Jesus is there. And we see that Jesus is more interested in the needs of people than he is in formal compliance with the laws. Uh, we're told... I'll get this one sorry, could you lean back? Sorry. Uh, we're told this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, except for Jesus. Uh, what was the man's name? It wasn't Legion. That was the name taken by the many demons that lived in or possessed this poor man. Whose family did this man belong to? How long had he been there? Who put him there? Why the need for chains if no one else was around? Why didn't he freeze to death in winter? Mount Hermon uh, has snow on it all year round and it's only 75 kilometres away. A north wind and this naked man would have been expected to die of exposure. Uh, If you've lived in Canberra uh, in winter and there's snow on the Brindabellas, you don't want to be outside and naked with a wind blowing from the south. What did this man eat? What had this man done? Why had he become possessed by demons? Sometimes it happened when a person gave themselves over to evil, as with Judas, but he were given no clue at all, as far as I can see. There are so many questions about this man, if we actually care about him, rather than seeing him as an incidental detail on the way to another Jesus miracle. Verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this man would cry out and cut himself with stones. What a truly tragic image. We can imagine the cuts and bruises uh, from wearing and breaking the chains. Then we have the suggestion of self-harm. He cut himself with stones. So desperate was his suffering. We don't see self-harm often in the Bible, but it's known to God. Put these things together and we have a man with no name, no family, no friends. He lived among the tombs, which suggests that this man was as good as dead. He cried, echoing out like a lonely wolf, because he seems more animal than human. 
And then we read, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, taking up a position of worship. How did this man know he was Jesus? We read, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Uh, This may have been the man's voice, but it had been taken over by the demons. So it seems that it was the demons who knew who Jesus was. And that would not surprise us. Satan and his evil spirits know their main adversary. We saw that back in Mark chapter 1, when an impure spirit met Jesus when he went to a synagogue in Capernaum. That impure said, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we are told of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Satan tried to bribe and distract Jesus so he would not do what he had come to do because Satan knew that his only hope was to neutralise Jesus. But notice, when evil spirits identify Jesus for who he is, the Holy One of God and the Son of the Most High God, on neither occasion was their recognition accompanied by devotion, by worship. The demons, in effect, say, I know my enemy is greater than me, but I will, not do, uh, I will not do the only thing that will save me. So I will go on resisting God and his son. I think we should see this as demon possession and not as some form of mental illness. The demon speaks and Jesus speaks to the demon. And I don't think that Jesus would speak to an illness or a brain malfunction. But, but what does... But that doesn't take away from Jesus' compassion or his power to heal or his power to bring order out of chaos. So this story is mighty hopeful for us today. For this Jesus still has power today. And we're told the demons asked Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And I wonder why. What was so special about the area of the Gerasenes to these demons. Perhaps there is a hint in the large herd of pigs. As I said, the area of the Gerasenes was in the promised land of Israel. It was to be the land of the pure. And under Jewish law, there was nothing pure about pigs being there. They were the most recognisable, unclean food. They stood out like a pork chop in a synagogue. But on the basis that there are 16 ribs to each pig, here we have 32,000 pork chops in part of the promised land. So we may well ask what 2,000 pigs were doing here. That's a lot of pigs. That's nowhere near 2,000 pigs. But it's a lot. Animal historians tell me that they they were mainly European breeds, which had been in Israel for at least 900 years by the time of Jesus. 
They were possibly not as big as modern-day pigs, but I understand a family of six could live on two pigs. So quickly do they grow and reproduce. So maybe the livelihoods of several thousand people were hit by this catastrophic loss. Or perhaps there was just one or two big pig farms supplying the occupying Roman army, which would have only doubled the offence, wouldn't it? Pigs and Romans. The name Legion is interesting. Obviously, uh, it's not a Jewish or Canaanite name. It is a Roman name. A legion could have up to 5,600 men. So the name was probably chosen to show there were lots of demons and perhaps to suggest that they were as invincible as the Roman army. But while a legion of Roman soldiers was too much for most adversaries, a legion of demons was, was easy for Jesus. He was uh, not put off by the imposing name. In fact, what did he do? He told him, go and jump in the lake. But this really is an unsettling story. Why did the demons want to go into the pigs? Jesus would later overturn the food laws, but um, I'm not sure that we're supposed to see a link between the evil demons and the unclean pigs. Uh, or perhaps we are, though I just don't think there's enough to go on. But also, did you notice that the demons had to ask Jesus' permission? And I think that's significant. They had to beg him. And that's a bit weird. But it's also weird that Jesus gave them permission. Why? Did he know that they would then be drowned? when even the pigs could not stand to be demon-possessed? Or, or did he know this disaster would see his notoriety grow? Uh, his name was spread through the Decapolis, which is the area of ten cities uh, to the east and southeast of uh, the Sea of Galilee. I, I, I don't know. Some theologians say that that, that was the purpose, but... Perhaps it doesn't matter that much. What does matter is that Jesus did drive out the demons and by his words alone. He needed no magic incantation. Jesus alone is powerful and competent to do what he knows is good and right. Uh, and at verse 15 also matters. When the people who heard the reports of the destruction of the pigs came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. What a joy. What a truly magnificent image. It fills me with love and hope. This is the Jesus that I love. That he can do this to someone who is in such desperate circumstances. The contrast between the man before he met Jesus, naked, deranged, almost subhuman, and now a man restored. Our Lord can do that. But almost to preempt the rejection that Jesus uh, would face when uh, on trial for his life in Jerusalem, the crowd were afraid and 
wanted him to go away. We're not told exactly what they were afraid about. That there was someone with such power or that their livelihoods had been destroyed or that the Romans might come and find out or that the religious leaders, there were lots of things they could be afraid about. And rather than rejoice and bow down and worship, they were afraid and sent Jesus away. The man who had been saved knew better. As Jesus was getting into the boat, he asked to go with him. I want to come with you. I want to be with you. But Jesus said, go home to your own people. And so Jesus restored the man physically, mentally, emotionally and relationally. The man ended up where we would all want to be, at the feet of Jesus. Out of the chaos of the man's life, Jesus brought order and hope and healing and a wonderful image of what life will look like for us. Life looks like for us when we recognise for Jesus who he is, when he leads us into his kingdom, when we join him in the resurrection, he shows us what life is going to be like. And for those of you who have been here over the last couple of weeks, we've had four parables in a row about listening so that we may understand and enter the kingdom of God. And now we have Mark showing us through this miracle, something of what the kingdom will be like. Not only no demons or evil spirits, but each one of us in our own right mind and relationally connected, not only with Jesus, but also with those around us. For those who have difficulty in this life with their families or in making and keeping friends, this is a lovely picture of what life will be like for us in God's kingdom. Well, our final task today is to work out what Jesus meant by his closing statement to the saved man. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Clearly we see family restoration. We also see a worked example of the parable of the lamp with Jesus the lamp, the light of the world, being seen in his love and power and mercy. This isn't something that should be hidden. Jesus has come out into the open so he may be seen. We see a command for this man to tell his family. So Jesus was confident this man knew enough about him to say things that would be useful may even be life-changing for his family. But how closely is Jesus associating himself with the Lord God himself in these words? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. The only one who's done anything in this story so far is Jesus. Jesus speaks. He doesn't pray to his father for his father to intervene. Jesus speaks and by his words, things happen. The man is restored, the demons are driven out. Is Jesus effectively saying, go home and tell your people that I, the Lord God, have done this for you. Or go home and tell your people what the Lord has done through me. Is Jesus referring here to himself as the Lord God 
or as an agent or instrument of the Lord God. I tend to think it's Jesus here is identifying himself as the Lord God. Jesus and the Lord are one and the same. But either way, Mark has made significant steps in showing us how Jesus is the Messiah, the saving one, the one who brings salvation. And he has shown us an aspect of how Jesus is the Son of God, the one with God's power and purpose on earth to bring people joy and restored relationships. And this story has made me love Jesus more and want to follow him more. And I pray that that is the same for you. Amen.